Hello, everyone, and welcome to Downsizing, the podcast where we try and figure out when The Office actually ended, because everyone would have been fired. My name is Curtis, and I'll be your host, and with me is my co-host and resident office expert, Antoinette. Hey, everybody. Today, we will be discussing Season 3, Episode 2, The Convention. In this episode, Michael and Dwight head to a booze-filled sex romp. Pam and Jim adjust to life after the kiss, and Michael feels rejected. This episode's cold open goes back to kind of just the formula of a joke Mm -hmm. that's played out throughout the scene. And it feels like we haven't had one of those in a while. Like the, the ones that we've seen towards the end of season two and at the beginning of this season have been pertaining to the plot. Yeah, just all set up, I would say. Right. In this cold open, Michael enters the office and he asks Pam if she saw Oprah yesterday. And she says that she has did not. And Michael says that he wants a baby or that he's going to be a father. Yes. The very next sentence after Pam says, nope, did not see Oprah, Michael says, Pam, I'm going to be a father. And the natural response is, what was Oprah about? Turns out Angelina Jolie was on Oprah and discusses the fact that she has adopted a child from an Asian country. So Michael puts Pam to the task of getting him a Chinese baby. Pam, rightfully so, kind of makes Michael slow his roll here. She basically says that you probably shouldn't be a father. Yeah, she does a very good job of making him see that this is a short-term want because she points out the expense of it. He asked her to find a cheaper baby. She also points out that it's probably going to be about an eight-month waiting list. And his response is, eight months? I don't even know if I'll want a baby in eight months. So, does not appear that Michael is ready for fatherhood. Definitely has not thought this through at all. In a serious way. Yeah. He's just doing what a lot of white women do. And it's just like, oh my God, it was on Oprah? Well, I guess I got to do it now. That's my Bible. And we do know that Michael wants children just from some of his interactions and confessions in season two, but he's still not really prepared for what that actually means. So Michael follows this discussion up with a proposal for Pam. (laughs) He says that if neither of them have kids in 10 years, that they get together and they have a kid. And Pam refuses. Yeah, she says no. (laughs) And Michael says, what about 20 years? Pam again refuses that. And so Michael comes with 30 and Pam caves and she's sure. (laughs) Because you have to imagine in 30 years, Pam's probably in her mid-50s, mid to late 50s. (laughs) So their likelihood is not great. Yeah, but still, why do people do this for Michael? Like, why do they just, like, appease him and just be like, I I get it, like, just to get him to go away. Right. Like, the likelihood of that happening is low, but, like, it also, it just reinforces the fact that Michael can be 
annoying and an idiot right. and get away with it when people are just like, okay, yeah, fine. There's no natural consequences for right. Michael's like, behavior. Like in the last episode where Oscar like right. caves and gives Michael a hug. Like, no, he doesn't deserve that. Stop. Right. That's the most egregious example of that, I would say. Yeah. As we get into the main part of the episode, we see Michael in his office with Ryan, and they're going through a packing list. And Michael is headed to a business convention, but to hear him describe it, you would think he's heading to Mardi Gras. Guess where I am going. I will give you a hint. It is a booze-fueled sex romp where anything goes. You are correct, sir. I am headed to Philadelphia for the annual Northeastern Mid-Market Office Supply Convention. And Jim Halpert is going to be coming, which will be fun. Poor little guy has been stuck working under Josh. The poor man's Michael Scott, as he is known around my condo. This is probably the most excited anybody has ever been to go to a convention where, like, the focus of things is going to be on paper and staplers and things of that nature. Right. Yeah. Uh, I can't imagine very many other people feel this strongly about this convention. But my favorite part of it is just how excited Michael is for all the stuff you can get. One of the other best quotes that comes out of this episode is when Michael talks about swag. Stuff we all get. And he says he has decorated his condo with all of the swag he gets at this convention. Which is kind of lame stuff. It's lanyards. It's a Hawaiian print shirt with Microsoft Office uh, embroidered on the pocket. It's Which he proudly wears later in the episode. (laughs) It is hats and probably notepads. It's kind of just general office supply stuff. Sure. I get it, though. Like, free stuff is fun. Like, we have a drawer full of koozies. And if anybody ever is like, hey, free koozie, I'm like, yeah, I'll take it. And my friends and I, when we were in high school, the Illinois State Fair is right before school starts. And so we would go to the fair and then just go like through Conservation World or wherever else and basically just get a bunch of school supplies, like just (laughs) pencils and rulers and anything that we could get, we took it. My dad is also a salesman and he goes to these type of, you know, conventions and get togethers and he would bring us just like random stuffed animal things uh, when he would have to go when we were young because you can, they're out there and all kinds of samples of different stuff. So it truly is one of those things where they're trying to get you into their product So they just have a whole array of free stuff. So Michael's not wrong in that respect. Yes. And Dwight is also joining him for this trip, much to the chagrin of Angela. Yeah, I don't fully understand this, but Angela is pissed that he is even going to Philly for this convention because she wants to spend time with him. How many days do you think this is? A couple days? Two tops? Right. Like... This has to be a Friday, right? Yeah. Maybe like a Friday-Saturday deal? 
I would think so. Or Thursday, Friday, something like that. It's not encompassing the weekend. And Dwight and Michael take the train from Scranton to Philadelphia, which can't really be all that far either. Uh, but she is just upset that Dwight is going because she thinks it's just for managers. And he has to reinforce to her that he's an ARM. That's very important. Yes. Jim is also attending this conference because he's coming with Josh, the Stanford manager. And this reinforces kind of what we were talking about last episode, that Jim is in some sort of managerial positioning. Do we not, are still not quite sure if he is a deputy to Josh's manager or what is the case but he clearly has some sort of power at Stanford. And since this convention is going to be filled with meetings with supply reps and people of that nature, Jan is also around just so she can probably to like facilitate right facilitate deals or sign off on the corporate end of things. Mm-hmm. And so this prompts Michael to kind of clear the air with her and just say, hey, I know we're kind of on an excursion here. Like, this is still Michael thinking that this is the, just the greatest thing ever and that this is people getting away and just going nuts. Right. And so it was just like, I have a girlfriend, Carol and I are dating. We can't do anything in in this trip. Which, Curtis, this is our first check-in on that true so we didn't really get any sort of resolution in the season three opener as to what's happening with michael and carol because i guess because you know it could have been their one and only thing but apparently it's going well for them and michael wants to lay the ground rules with jan but if you think about it michael and jan probably made out a year ago close to a year ago that meeting with Christian for the Lackawanna County business is not recent. No. Now, Valentine's Day would have been, I don't know, maybe six months ago at this point. So the interactions between Michael and Jan haven't been tending towards anything that would make it necessary for Michael to make such a pronouncement about the ground rules of this trip. Right. One thing I noticed during this episode is that everybody has the real deep unbutton going here. Like both Josh and Jim, they're dressed almost identical. I was just about to say this. Identical outfits. And they both have like two buttons, like three buttons down Mm -hmm. unbuttoned. Real cash. Just real, real cash. Michael is in a polo. Same thing, like two buttons down. Dwight also has that. He's at least wearing an undershirt. Jan. Jan, yes. Jan also. Real, real deep unbutton going. Everyone's making it clear they're not on a sales call. This is salesmen, you know, uh, off duty. Right. In keeping with Michael's thought that this is a booze-filled sex romp, (laughs) Michael spends a lot of time getting his room prepped for this big blowout party that he's going to have after the convention, the day's events of the convention are over. So he sets up like a full bar, 
He has strobe lights. They hang a magnetic dartboard from like the bureau's door. Mm-hmm. Like just really get things set up for this huge party, which of course doesn't really pan out that well for Michael. And he spends a great deal of time at the convention inviting people to this party. So much so that Jan is concerned that he's not actually doing any work there. Jan chides Michael for not being serious about the whole reason that they're there at this convention. Michael seems to take this to heart, but he has an opportune meeting with the hammer mill representatives. Because what happens is that he challenges Josh to a paper airplane contest, because that's part of the hammer mill booth. Josh is really not interested and ends up walking away. And Michael has invited the hammer mill people to his party, but takes that opportunity to set up this one-on-one meeting in his hotel room with the hammer mill guy. We learn later, because Jan is kind of still mad at Michael for how he's approaching this convention, that Michael has successfully gotten hammer mill products to Dunder Mifflin. And right before we learned this, Michael explains that he had a meeting with Hammer Mill, and Josh points out that Hammer Mill is exclusive to Staples. Right. And Michael's like, well, not anymore. I, I got him on board. And That's a big get. Right. And so it is It is one of those moments where we we see, I mean, we don't see it right. it's in, not in motion. Right. But we see Michael's competence come through and that he is a very, very capable salesman when he is focused. Right. And because the party has been his primary focus this whole time. Like I said, this just seemed like it was opportune for him. Not really set up or established. He sort of stumbled his way into the meeting in the first place is what I am gleaning from this. As we mentioned before, with Michael and Dwight heading to this conference... It is their first time to see Jim since he has transferred to Stamford. When they see each other in the lobby, Jim genuinely seems excited and happy to see Michael. He says, I really miss you, man. It's really good to see you. And that really does seem like a genuine emotion from him. It seems like he's really realizing what the good aspects of Scranton were for him. Right. The... The move to a different office has allowed him to separate kind of the personal attributes of Michael and everybody else in the office from the professional Mm -hmm. aspect of it. And so he can see Michael as not this bumbling guy that kind of stumbles into success and can now see him as just a, a friend, essentially. Yeah, and even Dwight a little bit. It has some resonance for Jim. And Jim remarks to the camera that he sort of regretted those pranks that he pulled on Dwight. Until Dwight opened his mouth. Dwight's not willing to let some things go. Yeah. Jim's move to Stamford hasn't quite gotten him over his feelings for Pam as maybe he thought they would, though. There are multiple times throughout this episode in which Jim is confronted with 
basically the existence of Pam. Mm-hmm. And he stumbles at kind of acknowledging that. So the time when they are all at the hammer mill stand and they're getting ready to make paper airplanes, Michael gets a call from Pam asking about something. And Pam, Michael's just like, hey, say, hey, everybody say hi to Pam. And right when Jim hears Pam's on the phone, he just kind of gets like clams up and gets that very you know puppy dog look on his face. And then when Michael says, say hi to Pam, like he can barely get that out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Dwight's like, hey, Pam. Yeah. And when they are at lunch and Jim and Michael are in the buffet line or whatever, like Jim gets a chance to kind of just catch up with Michael and he goes, how's, and he's about to say Pam and he stops and says, Toby of all people. (laughs) And so you can tell that Jim just still isn't quite over Pam yet. She is still at the forethought of his mind. And it's still early, this transfer, but I get the sense that Jim is committed to making this work, to really leaving her behind. Very true. Pam, however, has taken the first steps to moving on, not just from Jim, but from Roy as well. There are also moments in this episode where Pam is struggling with those same feelings that Jim is. For example, when... Michael and Dwight are getting ready to leave for this convention. Michael says, kind of in general, but towards Pam's direction, any message for Jim? And she's sort of caught off guard. Right. And all she can get out is, um. And he doesn't take any longer for her to come up with anything else. There's another moment where, and I can't remember the specifics of it, but Jim gets mentioned, or there's a moment where Jim's the thought of Jim is involved and like she instinctively looks to his old desk yes so she's still thinking about him as well and Pam is putting herself out there again she has agreed to go on a date with Kelly's neighbor who is the cartoonist at the local newspaper which I'm not sure many newspapers have those anymore I'll be honest yeah, I have to. I feel like they're probably all syndicated. Yeah, just a relic of a different time. Well, there's. I know our local paper has a cup, one or two, maybe. I have no idea. The I think the Illinois Times does. Yes, so probably syndicated in some respects. Yeah. So she agrees to go. Kelly is more excited than Pam. But kudos to Pam for putting herself out there a little bit. Because as she points out, she has not been on a first date in nine years. So her and Roy met in high school. Their timeline is still weird. Because you remember in a season two episode where Pam talks about her worst first date? Yeah. I assume that was, I guess, them in high school. Where Roy took her to an amateur hockey game. It's possible. So let's say they were 16. It's been nine years, so she's about 25 years old. That's probably right. Yeah, I think that seems about right. She's been working at Dunder Mifflin for a couple years, so probably since college. The timeline seems to work out there. 
So she is not... So really, the only person she's ever been with, we can assume, is Roy. Like, we don't know what happened for them in college. We know Pam did go to college. But this is really a big step for Pam. They appear to go just to dinner somewhere. Yeah. It's Kelly and Ryan, which seems like it would be a miserable double date for anybody. It's weird because there was no indication that it would be a double date right. up until that point. Up until they were just there. Right. And it's kind of a dud. Kind of a dud. Yes. Alan comes off just very dull and like monotone. Yeah. And the it seems it's pretty clear that the only thing that is remotely interesting about him is the fact that he is a cartoonist and even that is a stretch because he takes himself very very seriously (laughs) he does pam tries to make conversation by asking alan how he comes up with his cartoon ideas and he kind of gives a non-answer i just think about it or maybe i dream it up that seems so bizarre right and this is an unfortunate instance of what I think is very common in the dating world. Maybe not so much now. I'm sure it still happens, but definitely pre like dating app mm-hmm. era where if you have a you're having a friend set you up or a friend takes it upon themselves to set you up, mm-hmm. they do this they do the thing where it's oh I know this one thing about you. Sure. They they probably know more about you. It's like, oh, here's this one thing that you like. I know another person that also likes that thing. Mm-hmm. You guys should date. And there's no other commonalities right. or similarity of personality, anything. Pam says at the end of the date, it wasn't a love connection, but she's glad she did it. She sort of broke that ice for herself. For sure. Speaking of breaking the ice, Toby is trying real hard to do that with Pam in this episode. Yes, once he figures out that she's back on the market and trying to date, he decides he wants to ask her out, but really cannot work up the courage to do so. Upon reflection of her date with Alan, Pam says that she thinks the next time that she's really into somebody, she'll just know. And I think she is looking for the feelings that she had towards Jim with any other date or connection she might find. So that's going to be the barometer for a relationship for her. I think that's a good assessment, yeah. Back at the convention, Michael has become focused on something other than his hotel room party, and that is his relationship status with Jim. When... He sees how Jim and Josh interact with each other and just how jokey and friendly they are with each other. He instantly becomes jealous is one word, but also kind of upset that he never had that with Jim when he was in Scranton. Right. Weirdly insecure. Yes. Yes. That's a good way to put it. One of my favorite quotes comes up surrounding this insecurity with Michael. Michael is still trying to get people to come to his party. 
So he invites Jim and Josh just to come by right before they have to go down and meet Jan. And Michael's trying to give them a cocktail, even though it's not even lunchtime. He's got some martini glasses. He's going to get everyone's 30 minutes. The martini glasses prompt this inside joke between Josh and Jim. And they laugh together, and Jim tries to explain it and just says, you know what, you had to be there. This is the quote that is just so iconic to me. Michael says, I love inside jokes. I hope to be part of one someday. And it's just this uncomfortable truth about Michael is how badly he wants to be accepted into a group. He wants to have an inside joke with somebody. For sure. And Josh and Jim do not know how to react to that. And it's kind of just this hurry up, get away thing. We've got to go meet Jan. And I think that this all stems from Michael's desire to be friends with the people that he works with. Yes. And that wouldn't be so bad when he was just a, a, a salesman at Dunder Mifflin. But now that he's manager, it is probably uncomfortable for his employees to be like really good friends with their superior. And that's not even considering just how bad Michael is with trying to be friends with people. Yes, the just the awkwardness surrounding everything there. And Michael is just really wounded by Jim's choosing to leave. He has so many different analogies. He says it's similar to like a firefighter. You don't leave your brothers behind. He just doesn't understand. Was Josh funnier? Was Josh a better boss? He thinks this is just about him as a boss. For sure. And it is later in the day when Jim decides to throw Michael a bone. He shows up to the hotel room party. Michael is unfortunately sitting in the room in the dark, save a strobe light, alone, techno music blaring. And Jim shows up and just like, hey, did I miss the party? And Michael's like, eh. People have been coming in and out. Yeah, unfortunately, like trying no to one came. Really, well, he is not wrong that people have been coming in and out. Like, one guy does show up, and when nobody else is there, he leaves. Right. And side note, the reason that Dwight is even still not there is because Angela has decided to... Come visit him. It can't be a surprise because Dwight has apparently left a key for her at the front desk. But she has decided that the way to spend time with him is to come to the hotel. So Dwight is off with Angela at this point. Right. Not attending the party. Right. So Jim walks in. Michael turns on the lights, cuts the strobe light. Jim turns down the music. And they just have a drink and talk. Michael uses this opportunity to sort of confront Jim about the transfer. Jim stops Michael and says, no, it wasn't about you. I transferred because of Pam. This is another one of those times, as I have said multiple times, that this just wouldn't happen. Right. Like, A, did Jim not learn his lesson from the first time when right. he confided in Michael? Booze Cruise Part 2. Yeah. Right. Jim is essentially saying that he is still in love with Pam. 
Like that's literally the reason he left. And now what's Michael going to do with that information? Because Michael even says he'll talk to Pam. Yeah. He says, Jim, you don't understand. Pam's back on the market. Right. Jim gives him so much information because Jim tells Michael about how he put himself out there twice and got rejected twice. And so this sort of got me thinking. I think Jim and Pam are both in this spot to where they feel that it's final. So Jim definitely feels that way, I think, just from what he tells Michael. He says, I got shut down twice. He does not think there's an opening anymore. I think Pam feels the same way. She's putting herself back on the market. She clearly still has unresolved feelings for Jim. But because she has essentially rejected him twice, said she's still going to marry Roy, I don't think she feels like that Jim Avenue is still open to her. And maybe this is also still part of her trying to become an independent person and like sure. leave her old, quote, old life behind. You know, she said last episode that she's got a new apartment and she's taking art classes. Like she is, that is part, Jim is part of her old life and yeah. she is trying to move forward and not tie herself to things in the past. Yeah, just develop new patterns, new habits. Right. But another part of this interaction with Jim and Michael is it's another case of people stroking Michael's ego for the sake of just making him feel better because he feels bad. Jim says to Michael that he was a really good boss and that he was a great boss, actually. And no, he's not. We know this. We know he's a terrible boss. Things get done at that office in spite of him, not because of him. I think that's so contrary to everything we've heard Jim say and the frustrations we've seen from Jim throughout season one and two. Right. And there is a quote later on in this season that I think of pretty often anytime that they have this Michael redemption arc, if you will. And it's when Josh leaves Dunder Mifflin. Uh-huh. And there's an interstitial with Jim. And when he learns the details and he says, say what you will about Michael Scott, he never would have done that. So it's in that quote he's implying, yeah, we all know Michael is just terrible at his job, but he never would have done something like that. Yeah, backhanded. Right. The episode ends with those hammer mill reps coming to the party. They introduce themselves to Michael and Jim. And one of the reps asks if they work together. Jim responds, well, we used to, but now we're friends. And Michael says, best friends. So he just (laughs) takes it that much further. He has gotten that morsel from Jim, and he is going to cherish it. Right. Which is what Michael does. Exactly. Classic Michael here. He wanted a friend. Now he's got it. And he's going to let everyone know that it is his best friend for life. Right. So with that, let's head back to the annex with Antoinette, and we'll find out any fun facts about this episode. Just a couple of fun facts. A NFL player makes a random cameo here, which if you didn't know who he was, I guess you may not have picked up on it. Originally, the script for this episode 
was supposed to include a suggestion that Angela was pregnant with Dwight's child, which is kind of bizarre and was cut for being just a little too bizarre. So the showrunner, Greg Daniels, said that at this point in the show, Angela and Dwight's relationship was still kind of a C-plot, just played for laughs sort of thing. So to take it to that level just didn't make sense here. And I agree, that would have been sort of an odd suggestion. Also, cast members from the British version of The Office were supposed to be at the convention as their office characters, but the scheduling fell through. And I think that would have been pretty fun. Yeah, that would have been a fun kind of crossover thing. We do get a Ricky Gervais cameo uh, later in season seven, but we really don't get any other members um, that I'm aware of from that British cast. Curtis, do you think we had any firings today? I think we have two. Okay. I have one. And the second one came to me while we were doing this right now. Okay. The first one is Michael. uh, When he learns that Pam is going out on a date, he tells her to unbutton that button and let them pu- those puppies breathe. Yeah, that's, I had that too. That's obviously a firing for yeah. Michael. Yeah, some sexual harassment. Correct. The second one is Kevin. Okay. Because there is a conversation between he and Toby. And Kevin says to Toby, hey, have you heard that Pam's back on the market? If I wasn't engaged, I would so hit that. Yeah. And I feel like if he said that to anybody else, he gets away with it in the sense that it's not a like nobody probably says anything. He says it to his HR rep. Agree. Toby's going to probably follow through on that. And that's another sexual harassment lawsuit or firing, essentially. That fits the definition of hostile work environment. Right. So I think Kevin goes here, too. I think you're right. Do you have a Dundee to give out? Yes. My Dundee for worst date goes to the double date with Kelly, Ryan, Pam, and Alan. And part of that is due to the awkwardness of Kelly. Yeah. She is force-feeding Ryan fries. Oddly and weirdly and with gusto. And when he sort of tries to get her to lay off, she says, no, you love ketchup. And he turns to Pam and Alan and says, he loves ketchup. (sighs) Like, it's okay to be force feeding. There's even a shot where Ryan's just not even chewing the fries. They're just hanging out of his (laughs) mouth anymore. And he, you just wonder why he's still subjecting himself to this. Like, they just have a super weird relationship. What is your Dundee? My Dundee is the worst research on a cameo. (laughs) And that goes to whoever booked Jerome Bettis. At this time, Jerome Bettis probably is retired. He may have just retired. Okay. However, he may still have been playing like his last years. Jerome Bettis played for the Pittsburgh Steelers. This episode is happening in... Philadelphia. I have to imagine that the people of Philadelphia aren't big fans of Jerome Bettis and the Pittsburgh Steelers. So I don't think like anybody would care that Jerome Bettis was at a office supply convention in Philadelphia. 
Also, there's also no way that Jerome Bettis is going to be at an office supply convention right? in Philadelphia. It's unexplained completely. He apparently is not playing a character. He is Jerome Bettis. They don't even say his name, though. No, Dwight just makes a reference to his nickname. Right. And so, was he shilling for some office supply company? Wait, uh, it was just maybe. random and weird. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe, like, uh, just in terms of the show in general. Maybe he's just a fan of the show. Maybe and like his agent called somebody. Yeah, like, hey, can he wait can get on there? And like, okay, yeah. Yeah, it's just a bizarre cameo. Yeah. Who is your employee of the month? I chose Michael just because he was able to get hammer mill products to Dunder Mifflin, and that seemingly was an impossible task given the reaction of Josh and Jan. Who about, what about you? My employee of the month is Jim. He appears to be enjoying his new life in Stamford, at least in a professional sense. Mm-hmm. He, we get a little more clarification as to what his role is in Stanford. It appears he has made some very good sales numbers. True, yeah. That is mentioned here. And he has a good relationship with Josh where there is more of a balance in terms of how they are as friends than there was with Michael. True. I would agree with that. So good on Jim for kind of making the best of the situation. Yeah. Please follow us on Twitter at Downsizing Pod to get all the latest updates. And please keep listening on Spotify, Google Play, Apple Podcasts, wherever you listen to your podcasts and rate, subscribe, comment, wherever you can in order to keep getting our name out there. We appreciate you listening, and we will see you next time. Bye. Bye.